Good morning. Last week was Father's Day. I'm happy to say that I received one of the BuzzFeed's top 72 gifts on their list of gifts for Father's Day. The Saucy Moto Dip Clip. Yes, right here it is. All you fathers are probably jealous. You get to put that right on your vent and you can enjoy your fries or your nuggets right in the car with your favorite sauce. Isn't that awesome? I thought it was. I actually spent uh, some time thinking about Father's Day and how so many of my Father's Days were spent up north uh, fishing with my dad. And it was actually on a Father's Day that we were kind of floating down this real gentle river out in front of uh, some friends of ours' cabin and we're casting into this weed bed. And all of a sudden, my dad tips the tip of his rod, like bent down, almost hit the water. And he hooks, you know, sets the hook and he's like reeling in. And the dragon's like, and the fish is pulling out or whatever is underneath. And, um, and for about 15 minutes, this thing was like pulling us all around the river. And in fact, his friend who was out on the shore in front of his cabin jumps in his John boat after these 15 minutes and comes out to see if we need any help. And for the next 30 or 45 minutes, whatever this was underneath the water was pulling us all over the place. And, you know, and every now and then my dad would gain some ground and, then and I thought for sure at any minute the line's going to snap. We're not going to get this thing in the boat, whatever it is. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things go wrong. At one point we realized, you know, if this thing is a really big fish, like we don't have a big enough net. And so Roger goes back to the shore and he, he comes back and gets back just in time with a bigger net in order for us to net this monster. Yeah, yeah. Or was that for the tube socks you were? The <laughs> uh, thing was about as, as long as I was tall at 12 years old or whatever it was. My, it was an incredible Father's Day. Um, Pat knows. She's sitting up here. My dad kept this fish mounted in his office uh, uh, for the rest of the time that he was a principal at Holmes Junior High. And um, just a great memory that we shared. Uh, but as I was thinking about that story, I actually was trying to think, you know, this is a little bit like following Jesus sometimes when we were in that boat. Like, um, sometimes you, uh, yes, we wrestle with hard things, right? We wrestle with things that we can't see what's going on. Um, and, and our emotions and our thoughts will pull us in all different directions as we're waiting to see whether things are going to work out the way that we uh, hope that they would. And God is at work in those times, beneath the surface in ways we can't see. Yes, we struggle to see what God is up to sometimes. And we can trust that if we'll keep seeking him, we will net something valuable, something big. Yes, God wants us to know his goodness, and sometimes that goodness is hard to see. The Apostle Paul actually captured this uh, really well. He knew this experience, and he expected that other people who were following Jesus would experience their own challenges uh, from time to time. And so in one of his letters, he decided to address this and, and wrote these encouraging words. He says, here's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see 
will last forever. I met with a couple uh, a few weeks ago now. They were going through some really difficult family things. In fact, um, really difficult. It was bleak. And um, they really, as we met, just were pretty hopeless and didn't believe that there was any way things could be fixed or repaired. And the wife told me that she'd gotten a note from her pastor. And the pastor knew that they were going through some struggles, and so he sent him a note. It was actually a poem. And um, I'm, I'm going to edit it, but basically, uh, this is what the poem said. It says, The colors are blurred. We see only chaos woven. And wonder how grief and heartache has been chosen. Lord, your ways are mysterious and your hand hard to trace. These aren't the colors we prayed for, only dark colors in their place. Stop striving, you say, to make sense of what you see. Trust the hand of the weaver, for faithful I will be. One day you will see the beautifully woven story, perfect in the chaos, a tapestry of my glory. Isn't that nice? Beautiful words. I mean, it's really what Paul was talking about, only the Hallmark version. And I think, man, these are great words, and I know that they encouraged my friends. And they feel a little bit shallow sometimes to me. They feel a little bit obtuse. As I listen to this family, the thing that struck me is that these families' struggles, this family struggles, hardly seem like anything momentary or light. Neither does cancer, or dementia, or a marriage that's falling apart. Or how about being betrayed by someone you trusted to mentor you? Or not getting the job that you really wanted? None of these things feel like they're light and momentary, especially when we're going through them, right? They feel heavy. They feel like they're going to last forever, maybe even be permanent. So there are things that we we can't ignore these things, right? We can't just say, oh, it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. So I want to ask Paul or whoever wrote this poem, like, how do you propose we actually do what you're saying? How do you actually propose we set these things aside and focus only on what's unseen? Especially when we see our loved ones impacted or taken from us by such horrible things. Paul actually says, you know, I get that. I, I understand that. I've, I've been in your shoes. In fact, he opens this letter where this encouragement is found by, by saying, listen, I, I want to give you a heads up. Like, we've been going through some really intense things here recently, way more than what we thought we signed up for. In fact, um, there have been many times where uh, we just thought we were going to die. And truth be told, um, we kind of wanted to in the midst of those times. And later in the letter, Paul will go on and he'll share some details about what he was talking about. He'll say things like, you know, I was thrown in prison. And on five different occasions, I received 39 lashes, the maximum allowable from a Jewish leader. 39 lashes I got five different times. Three different times I was beaten with rods. One time we were shipwrecked and I spent a day and a half out in the open sea just drifting, wondering if we'd ever find land. There was danger. It seemed like everywhere I went, danger was just closing in on us. In fact, we encountered death over and over again. And you know what got me through that? Paul says, I focused on something that couldn't be seen. 
rather than fixing my eyes on the, on the problem or the fear or the pain or the resistance or the rejection, I tried to look beneath the surface to consider what God was up to. And I was able to see, yes, what we were going through was horrible. And it wouldn't last forever. Yes, what I wanted or hoped or maybe even expected to happen wasn't happening. And yet, it was coming. I could see that it was coming. In fact, one place that I could see it was coming, Paul says, was in my spirit. Because outwardly, as my body was being beaten down, as, as these challenges were coming at us over and over again, inwardly, daily, I was being renewed. Yes, I felt weak, and in my weakness, I experienced God's strength, strengthening my inner self with his resurrection power that encouraged me and my friends to keep going. Yes, this faith might kill me, Paul says, and it will lead to encountering God's goodness. And one day that goodness is going to come in full, and it's going to last forever. And Paul actually says, listen, we've all been given this gift. And he tells us in this letter what the things are that we can fix our eyes on that actually can be helpful to us. These eternal things that don't pass away. These hidden things. He reminds us that Jesus has given all of us who put, their trust, who put our trust in him this gift. And this is how he says it. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Paul's saying that Jesus has buried this gift in our mortal bodies, our fragile, breakable jars of clay that we walk around in every day. And uh, I had to read this a few times because I was a bit surprised at what the treasure is, at least what part of the treasure is. Paul says, we are always carrying around the death of Jesus in our bodies. How is that a treasure? How is that a gift? I think what Paul's getting at is the reminder that when we think about Jesus' suffering and death, we're reminded that he died for us and that that death conquered the power of sin and conquered the grave. And when we think of this, we're reminded of Jesus' resurrection. And we're reminded that, yes, life is hard. And there's something much bigger and better beyond this brief life. Yes, we carry Jesus' death in suffering in our bodies. And we carry the promise of God's resurrection power. The power that raised Jesus back to life is in us, and it will be revealed in us. Yes, what we see and experience in this broken world is hard, and God is up to so much good 
in this world and has so much more in store for us. This is a promise from God. Jesus actually shows us in his death and his resurrection that we don't have to muster up our own strength. Our work is to trust God, to trust this promise. And it's not easy. Seeing God at work, the power of him directly at work in us and around us can be difficult. Not something we can always feel at work inside of us. And it's not invisible. Yes, it's often hard to see. And we can find it when we look for it. God's promise is that he's at work in all things for the good of those who love and follow Jesus. It's something that we can. God's work is something we can and need to keep looking for. Just like the wind, how you know we can't see the wind directly, but we can see evidence of it. We can see evidence of God's work, even in the midst of our hardest situations. My friend Brad called me uh, at 9 o'clock on a Monday night a few weeks ago. We're actually more like brothers. We've known each other since I was about five years old. And his dad was, was dying. And he wanted to know if I could come over and pray with him and his family. And so my wife and I got in the car and we drove across town. And um, when we walked into the bedroom where his dad was laying, um, the signs of death were, were all around you know, he, uh, he's laying in a hospital bed, and he's unconscious. And his family's gathered around. There's lots of tears, lots of goodbyes. Uh, the hospice nurse and, uh, and her team is sitting right outside the room. There's an there's a t- uh, IV and a tubes to his arm and all this stuff, right? He's breathing a shallow, a little rattle to it. And the signs of death are all around that room. And... There were signs of God's presence all over that room. As in between the tears, the family shared stories of laughter and love and gratitude for this husband and father and grandfather that they had gotten to spend so much of their lives with. I saw evidence of God's compassion and kindness in the hospice nurses, right? And the care that they were providing to God and had provided him for weeks. And then even through their stories of the experiences they shared while providing that care for him over the weeks. You could see the powerful effects of God's work and love in all the pictures of the grandkids all around the room. And Brad's brother-in-law will tell you, he, he told his wife, he actually told me later that week, that that night in that room, with all this going on, he just experienced this deep sense of peace. He'd been in those situations before, hadn't experienced that kind of peace that was in that room in that moment. It was, it was tangible. God's spirit was in that room. And we prayed together about 9.45. And just before 10, Brad's dad took his last breath. Yes, everyone was sad, and everyone was able to celebrate because they knew that his body was no longer trapped in a body that was, that was racked with Parkinson's disease. Yes, what we see and experience in this broken world is hard, and God is up to so much good and has so much more to show us. So Paul says, let's remember this. 
Let's remember that looking for God's power and life at work in us when we're hard-pressed keeps us from being crushed. Looking for God's blessing when we are perplexed prevents us from falling into despair. Watching for God's power at work in and through others around us when we're struck down keeps us from being destroyed. And even when we face death, trusting in God's life and power, we know that he will raise us and our loved ones up just as he did Jesus. We carry that same power through his spirit in us. It's not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. It empowers us to look for God at work. Um, there are people who actually say that social science is proving this. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but optimists are paid more than pessimists or realists. That's what social science will tell you. Maybe it'll tell you they work harder too. I don't know. Um, John Gordon, an author and, and leader, actually cites this in his work, and he says it's not just because they work harder. He says it's because what we believe determines what we create. So I want to know how many of you are naturally positive, optimistic people. There, yeah, I believe that. Yep. Over here. There's a few of you around. All right, I love it. I wish I was you. <laughs> I wish I was more naturally optimistic and positive. That's not my natural bent. I typically default to a scarcity mindset left to my own ways. Um, and and um, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good critical thinker. I like to think it's because of how I was educated. That's given myself a little bit of benefit there. Um, I, I have lots of self-critical thoughts. In fact, I've had to take antidepressants at times in order to keep negativity and critical thoughts from driving me into depression. I would do almost anything to be a more naturally positive person. Someone like my wife or like Dave Bartlett or Tim Walston. Right? They're so encouraging and uplifting to be around. Well, guess what? There are things we can do in order to become more positive. John Gordon says our brains are like antenna, and they're all the time searching to tune in to different frequencies. It's like hitting the scan button on your radio. Kids, I know you probably don't know what a scan button is, but your parents can tell you. But we're scanning and looking to tune in, and we can tune into positive, we can choose into negative, we can tune into all kinds of different frequencies. When we actually tune our brains into negativity, it's a lower frequency that actually leads us to be more anxious, to have anxiety. And that anxiety contributes to disconnection. We, it separates us from ourselves, from others, from God, and it divides us. And then in order to cope with the lack of energy or this division or being alone, sometimes we'll add substances on top of that. And this can actually break our antenna where all we can tune into is the negative frequency and it becomes this vicious cycle. In fact, a lot of mental illness is the result of this anxiety and disconnection and loss of, of, of relationship with others. But if we tune into a higher frequency, science will tell you, we move away from anxiety. 
We actually move towards others and towards connection with others and connection with God and connection even within ourselves. And Paul would say, yes, I knew this hundreds and hundreds of years ago, right? This is why I wrote things like, hey, uh, don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't tune into all that negativity, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And there's no higher frequency for us to tune into than God and his word. And so Gordon says, I, I want to give you some suggestions on how you can actually do this. He says, I want you to think of the word tune as an acronym for this. And the T in tune is for truth and trust. Feed your mind with God's truth, especially when, when you're in healthy moments, when you're not going through those battles, right? Feed your mind with God's truth. And when things are hard, when circumstances are uncertain, you have this truth to speak to yourself. So you don't have to listen to those negative voices, but you can speak this truth, God's truth, to yourself. Encourage others as well. Not just speak it to the negative voices, but to other noise and lies that cause static to try to interrupt your signal. Unity with others is another way to tune. That's the you in tune. And um, how do we unite with others? We unite with others by loving them. A lot of times when we start to run into negativity or hard things, we try to start to turn in on ourselves, right? And we tune into our own discomfort and our own struggles. John Gordon and Paul would both say, don't do that. But look to others and how can you love others? How can you be a blessing? How can you add value to others even in the midst of your circumstances? Brad's dad, Connie, did just that. Uh, he used to write letters to his kids and his grandkids on holidays and birthdays, and he would affirm their strengths, and he would offer them encouragement. And then Parkinson's came and eventually took his ability to write those letters. But instead of fixating on that loss of that ability, he focused on God's grace and this purpose that God had given him to encourage his kids and his grandkids. And he was determined to find a way to keep adding value. And so he asked his son to come over, Brad said, hey, I'm gonna to dictate to you, I want you to write these letters out for me. And so even until the day he died, Connie was writing these letters, giving these kids and grandkids this gift and adding value to their lives. The N in tune is for neutralize negativity. And to be honest, I don't really remember what John Gordon said about that, but I've had the privilege of watching my wife do this for years and it, it just, it's still, it's just, it's powerful for me. Um, it, it has two ingredients, really, I think. One is, first of all, you have to acknowledge and accept that hard things are happening. And you have to give yourself time to lament these hard things. Otherwise, you're just skipping over it and going into some kind of Pollyanna positivity, which neither Paul nor John would tell you is a good or helpful thing. But you actually have to spend time to allow yourself to feel the hard stuff, to grieve it, Maybe you need to cry it out, or maybe you need to curse it out before you just change the dial and tune into a higher frequency. And my wife, she just did this the other week. She's, they're in the middle of this. Um, they're changing the way they do their electronic medical records at work. And usually that'll take you, you know, six months or so to, to get that through. Her department's doing it in three weeks. A little bit of stress, right? And then she's got this 
tough day with tough patients and tough things happening on her caseload. She's a home health physical therapist and some people aren't making progress and other people needed extra attention. And, I, and so she comes home and she's in a funk. And so she just shared a few of those things about that were hard and that were stressful. And then like on snap of a finger, she just turned and she started saying all these positive things about what was going to happen once this new medical records thing was through and how her patients, she was going to see this improvement when she tried this thing or that. It was amazing. I, like my mind is blown. I'm thinking, and then I read these words, like this is what she does. She neutralizes negativity. We need to be people who can do that, who can name the private, bad, hard stuff and then take some time to think about the good that's going to come out of it or the good that's happening right alongside it. So truth and trust, uniting with others, neutralizing negativity, and finally the E. We need to elevate our thinking. Topher actually taught in this series how we can elevate our thinking. I want to encourage you to go back and listen to his teaching if you haven't had a chance to hear it. But he talked about cataloging, cataloging our joys and our gratitude. Joy and gratitude are deeply connected. When we take time to write down the things we're thankful for, to think what brought joy to our lives, right, we're actually elevating our minds and getting our minds on higher things. Or his other great example was thinking about those um, God could have just like God could have just made one flavor of ice cream, vanilla, but there's made so many more, right, that we get to enjoy and try, and they keep making more and more. It's a good thing. One other thing I would say we can do, maybe you want to end your day this way, is just simply ask, what was the best thing that happened today? What's one way I experienced God's goodness today. Or maybe you want to start your day this way and think, God, what's, what's the best that could happen today? Doing this helps train us to be looking for God at work, to be expecting God to show up in our lives, to help us to see his unseen, at hand, unseen hand at work in the midst of everything that's going around us in our world. Yes, what we experience in this world is hard. And God is up to so much good in this broken world and has so much more in store for us. I want to be somebody who can tune in to what God's doing, to tune in and elevate my mind. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for how you've made us, that you've actually created us in ways that we can tune in to you when everything around us seems to be crashing or it seems to not make any sense. Lord, you've given us this gift of, of our minds and you've given us this gift of being able to connect with others to be able to look for you at work. So give us eyes to see. Give us uh, that experience of your spirit being renewed in us, Lord that encourages us and empowers us to keep looking for you at work and to help others to look for you at work when they're going through hard things. Not to just quote things at them or, or tell them to suck it up, but to actually say, man, let's, let's dive in. Let's see where God might be at work in this or let's consider how God might want to encourage you in this time. God, whatever it is that we need to work on, whatever that, that would be most helpful to us,
Would you speak that to us? Would you help us to take one next step so that we can experience more of your goodness, so we have more of your goodness to share with others? It's in your name we pray.